So this morning's scripture package is uh, Ephesians 4, verses 15 through 32. You can find that on page 978. So again, Ephesians 4, 15 through 32. So we're told, rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that's not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, to be be renewed in the spirit of your minds, you put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Man, a lot of good stuff happening, and then a lot of good stuff right here in Ephesians chapter 4. There's an absolute flow in Paul's writing here, and it's important for us to understand. So there's nothing new if you've been with us in the, in the journey here, but if you're jumping right in today, this is vital. Uh, really, Paul's writing a letter to a, a group of churches in the Ephesus area, ancient city in modern-day Turkey, and it was to have been read or received in one, one setting. It's not all that long, so whenever we pull pieces of it out, we are taking it out of that context, the fullness of it. So right here in, in chapter 4 and then the last two chapters, 5 and 6, there's incredible, powerful, significant imperatives, commands to God's people. Here's, here's how to live but if we take that out of context, if we miss where, where Paul has, what Paul has been building, the indicatives of our faith, what is true about who God is, what he's done, and who you are, then we are left at best with obedience, at worst with religion. I'll explain those in a minute. So we need to see the in, indicatives of who we are and who God is, and therefore how we are to live, then we can not only obey God's word, but we can actually engage it. It's a different kind of response. Obedience 
can be a good thing. When motivated by trust, it's an act of love toward God. It's an act of worship. For you parents out there, you've, you've commanded your children without giving a why. In fact, maybe that's most of your instructions to them. Just do it. And sometimes there's no time to give instruction. Sometimes we fail as parents. Other times there's no maturity to really engage the why. So as an example, if your child is chasing a ball out into busy traffic and you say, stop, is that harsh? Is it unloving? No, there's no time to give the why, and yet you are instructing your child. There's an imperative there. And so if they stop, that's obedience, maybe motivated more out of fear, but hopefully it's built also on trust. I listen, I hear and listen. The voice of my father or mother, I, tr- I trust them. There's other times where the maturity isn't there to explain fully, and you say, would you trust me? I don't want you going over to your friend's house when her parents aren't home. Why? Could you, could you just trust me? There may be a, a situation that is unsafe or unhealthy, but you don't want to cause fear because it might be a good friend of hers, and there's a family dynamic or something, someone's in the home that isn't safe. Right? And so you're, you're, you're banking on the trust relationship built because the maturity is not quite there to grasp yet. Would you trust me? And there, that kind of obedience and response is an act of love, motivated by trust, but it is, it is obedience. And it's not often, if it's not connected with the why, it is merely obedience. Now, what, what we could summarize Ephesians 4 through 6, the second half, as life works better this way. Okay, okay, life works better this way. Just do it. Now speak the truth. Here's what we have in verse 4, just capturing some of these imperatives. Speak the truth in love. Be careful with anger. Don't steal. Work hard. Share with those in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. And it, rather, encourage one another. Put away bitterness, wrath, malice, slander. Be kind and tenderhearted one to another. Forgive one another. Life works better this way. But without the why, it's at best obedience if it's motivated by, the Bible said so. I trust the Bible. I trust God's word, so I will obey. Then that is act of love and it's an act of worship. But if it it results from the understanding of the why that Paul has been building, then it becomes an engagement. It becomes a wholehearted response of love. Without that, at worst, if it's not, it could just it could just be religion. Okay, so if we hear these commands or we receive the Bible this way, I will just do it and I will earn God's favor. That's religious activity. I will be seen perhaps as better by those around me. We might be motivated to to do it because we don't want to get in trouble. That's religion. We might also say it's, as it has been said, moralistic therapeutic deism. You can chew on that phrase. We can just stick with religion. I remember a specific summer as a kid, maybe 11 or 12, our out-of-town cousins were in town. Our parents quoted Ephesians 4.32 so often to us it became a song. In fact, I think there was a jingle to it. Be kind one to another. Tender-hearted, forget, you know, on and on, okay, we've got some nods. Um, we started singing it one to another, but not as encouragement, as chiding, as rebuking. 
I don't think that was quite the intent. See, when uh, we're trying to get behavioral change without any heart change, we've got religious activity. And if, I'll just speak for myself here, because some of those cousins are in the room. If, (laughs) If when I was going to be mean or selfish, that jingle popped into my head, and I decided not to be mean or selfish, it was motivated almost purely by religion. I will be seen better if I don't do this, and I won't get in trouble. Okay, better would have been, I trust my parents, life works better this way, I'm going to obey. That's obedience. Better still would have been connecting the why. Why, why, would, why would I do that? Because this is who Jesus was. It's what he called us, it's how he called us to live, to represent him. You know, that word is to re-present him. It's what we've been called to That then becomes an engagement to his word connected to the why of who I am. And so if we don't move, if we don't move from under to understanding, we will never get at the heart. We will simply be in behaviorism or behavior adjustment, and that is purely religion, and it is not what we are called to. So Paul spends the first three chapters of this letter getting at the heart, and then everything that flows in the second half is built upon that foundation. Quick recap. Here's the why. It's how he began the letter. Ephesians 1, verse 3 and following. Blessed be God and Father our Lord, of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. For in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of all of our sins according to the riches of his grace which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. There's actually no period there. In fact, there's no period to that whole first section. Paul is just pouring out his heart for the Ephesians, for who they are in Christ. That's his primary goal, that they would know it, they would remember, and they would know it. It's who you are. You're this deeply loved, therefore, all of chapters 4 through 6. Love like this. It's so vital that we grasp that to, uh, in order to apply God's word. And when I tell my children to be kind to one another, which happens often, I, I, I'm not just telling them because life works better that way. It would be really easier for me and mom if you would just be kind to one another. In fact, if you, if you keep acting like that, you're not going to have any friends, which may very well be true, but that doesn't get at the heart of the why. In our house, if you ask my kids, put in a risk out there because you might go up to them afterward and ask, what is, what is the one rule, the rule above all, all rules in our household? If there's a rule to live by, it is show love. Show love. Love is a conscious decision. It's not a feeling. And so you don't feel like it to your brother, to your sister right now. They don't deserve it. That's grace. But show love. Not because life works better that way or because you're going to have no friends if you end up doing that at school. Although I will ask them from time to time, is this how you act at school? That gives me great pause. No, because you are so deeply loved and you've been created to love. That's what Jesus has called you to. That's the heart of the matter. 
And I pray that they can move as they grow up in him from any semblance of religion. Some obedience would be good, but on to a loving response and engagement with God's word because of who they are. Paul calls us in this chapter to no longer be like children. And too many of us spiritually are prone to being childish. And he says, no longer grow up in every way into Christ. Do not remain like a child. And in some ways, a child only responds in obedience or mere religion. And Paul is saying, grow up into him, remembering who you are and therefore how you must live. That's what he is exhorting us. He said, this is how you learned Christ. And that phrase is worth calling out because it's the only time it's said like that anywhere in the Bible. It doesn't say, this is how you learned about Christ. As if Jesus were a list of facts or doctrinal truths that we could come to know and to memorize. No, Paul says he is a person. In fact, the only way you can come to learn someone, that person must be alive. You must know them, and that's what he is emphasizing. This is how you learned Christ. It's how you came to know him. So remember that anyone can learn about Jesus and yet never know him. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's not a list of doctrinal truths. He is the truth. The truth has scarred hands and feet. And we can come to know him that way. This is why Paul prays passionately for the Ephesians that they would know God and therefore know who they are. The two powerful prayers we've already covered, Ephesians 1 and then Ephesians 3. Hear them again. Verse 18 of Ephesians 1. Have the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his immeasurable great power toward us who believe. Chapter 3, 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God." This is the heart of it. This is the why. This is who you are and who you've been called to be. So important, so vital. Therefore, live like this. God loves us too much to leave us where he meets us. He loves us so much he will come and find us, but he loves us too much to leave us there. He calls us to grow in every way. Three times in chapter four, Paul uses the word, therefore, You always ask, what is the therefore, therefore? It's all of chapters one through three. That's what he's built upon. Therefore, live like this. Therefore, live like this. Therefore, this is verse one, verse eight, verse 25. It's his exhortation. He's always linking it back to who they are because of who God is and what he's done. And that is absolutely paramount. I keep repeating it because you need to know it. This first church, this this Ephesian church, they needed to know it. Somehow they had forgotten. They had drifted into probably obedience bordering on legalism or religion 
We know that the path of the church by Revelation chapter 2, when Jesus writes to the church in Ephesus, he says, I I commend you in all of these ways, and yet I have this against you. You have lost your first love. In fact, it's stronger than that. You have abandoned your first love. You have drifted. Instead of knowing who you are in Christ, the love he had for you, you have moved beyond that. You've drifted from it. It's been lost. And Paul already saw the signs of that, and so he was reminding them, which means if it was true for them, it can be true of any one of us, of any church, that we can drift from who we are in him and move into mere obedience or religion or behaviorism. And so I'm calling us with Paul to the heart of the matter. Therefore, knowing our why is also knowing our who, who we are. Remember who you were in Christ. This is what Paul says. Remember chapter 2? You were dead. You were alienated. You were separated. But now you are made alive. You are adopted. You are brought near. This is chapter 2, 1 and following. So if you see the link there from chapter 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You walked in the ways of the world. You were under the oppression of the enemy. That's who you were. But now in Christ, you've been alive, made alive because of his great mercy for you. Do you see that link to chapter 4 here? What we heard read, 17 and following. Now this I say to you and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles. That in the Greek is the ethnes, the ethnic ones, just all, all peoples of the world. And he was speaking primarily to new believers in Christ. So they were two ethnic ones, but they have now a new identity. And he's saying, you used to be amongst the world, the ethnic ones. They lived in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They've become callous even and given themselves up to sensuality, to pleasure, to anything that will immediately satisfy in their life. And they're greedy and they long for all forms of impurity more and more. The NIV says with a continual lust for more because nothing in the world satisfies. You see that link between chapter 2, who you were in Christ. And he's reminding them, this is who you were. Know your who but you have been called in Christ. You've been made alive. Therefore, what must you do? Put off the old way of life and put on Christ. The title of this sermon, put off, put on. Those, those, that, phra- that phrasing, those verbs, uh, they primarily were used for getting dressed. It's very simply that. Undress, redress. How, how often do you get dressed? Uh, rhetorical, I would hope. I would hope that everyone would say the same every day. And that's exactly what this means spiritually. Every day, this is an ongoing getting dressed in the Lord, right? Putting off our old way of life, our former self, our, our old clothes of the way, because that doesn't, that doesn't suit us anymore. And putting on the newness of life, putting on what we've been called to, and we tend to need to do that daily. Redressing in the Lord these are our old behaviors, but the only reason that we can cast off our old behaviors is because of what Christ has done. He has set us free. We have a whole new identity. We are no longer dead. How encouraging that we can actually do it. Remember, the Bible never commands us to, to do something that God hasn't provisioned us ability to do. 
We know this doesn't have anything to do with salvation. We can't do anything but receive that gift of grace. So this is now the working out of our salvation, the working out of our faith. Cast off those behaviors, the sin that so easily entangles us, wraps us like clothing that clings to us. The parallel passage that comes to mind, Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, these men and women of incredible faith that have gone before us, that's Hebrews chapter 11, that's what he's referring to. Let us also lay aside, put off every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Because of who Jesus is and what he's done, he has conquered sin and death and evil on the cross. And therefore, we too can cast off the weight of these sins that continue to seem to cling to us, these old sins of death, these grave clothes that do not suit us any longer and live in the fullness of life, redressing in a way that represents Jesus. And that image from John chapter 11 comes to mind. You know the story? When Jesus' good friend Lazarus dies, and, and Mary and Martha come to him, his sisters, they're, they're, they're close friends. And, right, and before he died, they, they cried out to Jesus, come, Lazarus is sick, he's on his deathbed, come and heal. And, and Jesus waits in order to bring greater glory to God. He waits and he waits, and Lazarus dies, and he waits four more days. And then he goes And the sisters are beside themselves. Jesus, if you had been here, Lazarus would not have died. You could have saved him. So they believe in his life-saving ability, but they have yet to see something that he wanted to teach all people, that he could actually do more than that. He could actually make the dead live again. Do you believe I am the resurrection and the life, that I have this power within me? Yes, I believe, but probably help me with my unbelief. And so Jesus, full of passion and compassion, goes to the grave, and Lazarus has been in there four days. And he says, verse 44, Lazarus, come out. And guess what? Lazarus does. But he walks out of the grave wrapped in grave clothes, right? That's the way they would bury a body, wrapped in, in, in maybe up to 40 pounds of cloth and spices, and so he's coming out, and what does Jesus say to those with him? Unbind him and let him go. Unbind him and let him go. Those grave clothes do not suit a living man. He needs to be redressed. And this is ultimately what Jesus says to every one of us who finds our life in him. Free him. Set him free and send him on his way. Redeemed commissioned. The old way of life is gone. The the clothes that you've been wearing do not suit you. They're clothes of death. You need clothes of life that represent the living. Free them and send them. And that's what we've been called to. By the way, this imagery of putting off clothing and being dressed in the Lord. Spiritually, we must make that connection. Paul builds upon it, culminates it in chapter 6. Maybe the, maybe the most famous passage in all of the letter to the Ephesians where he says in, he, in Ephesians 6, put on the full armor of God. Be dressed in that way. 
So you've cast off the grave clothes, you're putting on the newness of life, and you're then later putting on the fullness of the armor of God. By the way, this core, this is a core teaching for the growth groups that Craig was highlighting for us. That we would be set free. That we would know when Galatians 5.1 says it's for freedom that you've been set free. That we would know the, the lies that have been clinging to us. The death that has wrapped us. And that we would see those broken in order that we could live in the fullness of life. The freedom of who we've been called to. Put off the grave clothes and put on the clothes of life. In chapter 4, those clothes would be things like speaking the truth in love, maintaining the unity of the Spirit, building one another up, being kind and tenderhearted, forgiving one another, and all the rest. This is what it looks like. But this is by no means an exhaustive list. We can go throughout Scripture and see so many more imperatives of who we've been called to be, how we've been called to live. Our beliefs will determine our behaviors. They always do. Whatever you believe will determine how you live. It will shape you. Even here though, Paul, in these imperatives, he connects them to our beliefs. They're not merely, just do it. Just trust me. Life works better this way. He connects it to a deeper belief. Here's a few. Put away lying. Why? Because we are members of one body. Be angry and do not sin. Why? Because Satan is real. Do not steal, but care and give to one another. Do not use corrupt language. You will grieve the Holy Spirit. Forgive one another because you are forgiven in Christ. See how he connects these imperatives with truths, with beliefs. We believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the church, and the devil. Our doctrine is not mere religion. It is practical theology. And these beliefs are all the more inspired when we clearly remember who we were. Dead, now alive. And we tend to need that reminder daily. I was dead and now I am alive to Christ. Whatever's falling apart in your world around you or even in your own physical body, spiritually, you were dead and now you are alive in Christ. And that's your eternal hope. The center of this table, we come, we celebrate the communion meal, the Eucharist, to give thanks every Sunday when we gather. Why? Because the table says it for us. Do this in remembrance. I am more prone to forgetting than once a month or than once a year. In fact, more than once a week, but this is how we gather. And so we celebrate every Sunday when we come together to the Lord's table to be reminded of who He is and what He did. His life was given for us. His blood was shed that we might too be forgiven. We receive yet again and are reminded of who therefore we are in Him and it's a part of our response. And so if you're coming to Jesus and he's, or He's drawing you, This meal is for you, and I hope you partake in it today as a reminder of what has been done for you. That you were dead, and now you are alive because one greater than you gave his life and conquered sin and death, rose again, dead to life, to give us the renewal of life. And so we come to him as a response. Let me walk us through application. We've learned, now let's turn. What do we do 
spiritually. If the enemy desires, the Satan desires to steal, kill, destroy, that's the way Jesus described him. If he's going to steal, kill, and destroy, then he wants to get us to be wrapped up yet again in the grave clothes. To be bound up again in mere religion. In ultimately lies. And in some of the most deceitful lies are the lies that turn the truth just slightly. And he's been doing that ever since the beginning. And so spiritually, how do we apply this? How do we live this out? First, in remembrance as I've been hinting at, second in repentance, third in renewal. Three R's for you. In, re- in remembrance, we come and remember who we are. And we might say it this way, we are more sinful than we ever thought. And yet we are more loved than we ever imagined. Remember what has been done for you, what has been paid for you. In remembrance, we come. Second, in repentance, Turning from and turning to. Repentance is an incredible gift. It is not condemnation. Oh, the ability to turn and go the right way. You ever been lost? Been driving on a road and you know you're, go- you're going, you missed it, you missed the turn. I was driving the other day, I was on 520, right? So I was actually heading toward Overlake and I needed to get off on 148th and I blew past 148th. And at that point, I realized that the traffic on 520 to 405 and that whole mess, that, the worst convergence interchange maybe in the whole area, there is nowhere to get off and go back the right way when you pass 148th until you get all the way to 108th and loop around, have to sit through all of that traffic. I was, so, was going to be right on time to an appointment. That didn't happen. Oh, the gift to be able. I'm like, there should be an exit right here. (laughs) And if I had an off-road vehicle, maybe I would make one. And then there's that little turnaround that says no turnaround because the emergency vehicles use it. I'm tempted. Oh, the gift to be able to turn around easily and go the right way. Repentance is a gift. And God gives it to us. It is never too late to be 100% reconciled in him. Turn from that direction that you've been going that does not bring life, it brings death. And turn to the one who brings life and that can be done today. There's nothing more you need to do but say, yes, Lord, thank you. I've been going the wrong way. Forgive me. I come to you now. Help me. That's repentance. Remembrance, repentance. Third is renewal. The renewal of your mind. Here's what Paul says in verse 23. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. I think this is probably least understood of those three. Remembrance, repentance, renewal. So a word of explanation. This is a, The parallel verse, maybe more well-known, would be Romans 12.2. Paul says, Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern then what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, what, what is perfect. Have you ever prayed prayers? Lord, what do you want for me? What am I supposed to do here? Anyone resonate with that, that kind of prayer? Is it not daily? Help me, Lord. You want to discern the will of God. What is your will in this situation? Paul tells us right here, you will be able to discern it as you are not conformed to the pattern of this world, but the renewal of your mind. Why then we don't we do that? Well, how, how do you do that? 
We need to understand how the world thinks. And it shouldn't be too hard because we are ultimately of the world, have been far too recently and far too pervasively. How does the world think? We're called to renew that thinking, to have the renewal of our mind. The world thinks. The world in the sense of all those who are not thinking in accordance with God and with with the truth of the word. How does the world think? They think, they believe lies ultimately, the opposite of God's word. And this is what Satan has been doing from the beginning. Remember, our, our, our behaviors will be determined by our beliefs. So the lies that we listen to, that the enemy speaks, ultimately inspired by the fallen world, will shape how we then live. We must know the truth to be able to discern lies. When we hear a lie, it should be like fingernails on a chalkboard. It should be like dissonance. The truth counters the lie. It has been said, you are what you eat. Your body can only take in the fuel you give it to make muscles and bones and organs and blood function. You are what you eat. Spiritually, you are what you think. What you meditate on. This is the renewal of your mind. When the world and the enemy would speak lies, you know the truth and you speak it in its place. That's what it means to be renewed in our minds, a new way of thinking. The enemy's been doing this from the very beginning. It was his primary tactic in the garden. This is Genesis chapter 3. What do his lies sound like? They sound like this. They have not changed their tone. These will sound familiar. This is the mantra that kind of runs through our minds sometimes that our world proclaims. Is God really good? Can you really trust his word? Has he not left you? In fact, distrust his character. He is actually withholding from you. And all you need is the evidence of your life and your circumstances. Look around you. He has left you. He doesn't want you to know him. He doesn't want you to truly be like him. If he did, your life would be different. You pray, you hear nothing. You pray, nothing changes. He doesn't have to change his tone because those lies keep working. They've led every one of us throughout history away from God to doubt and distrust and dismiss his word. We must know the truth to speak in place of those lies. Satan did the same thing to Jesus in the desert. He tempted him, took the word and twisted it to make him doubt who God was, to doubt his provision, to doubt who he was in Christ, in God. Jesus, the Son of God, tempted to believe a lie. How did Jesus win that battle? How did he triumph for Adam and Eve and none of us ever did? He spoke the word. He simply quoted truth in the face of lie and Satan fled. That's the same thing we are commissioned to. Resist the enemy and he will flee. How do we resist him? By proclaiming the truth. This is how we renew our minds. Take the lies that we've been listening to, even believing and shape, being, having our lives shaped by and replacing them with the truth. Meditating on the truth. Whether you need a reminder on a card on your mirror or whether you're in the word every morning, being reminded of the truth of God's promises to speak in the place of lies. That's the renewal of mind which will lead to the testing of his will and discerning how he has called you to live. It is rather simple, although it is not easy. Hear me say that a lot. 
rather simple. We can grasp how to do it. We struggle in applying it. May we be people who renew our minds in truth. Let me leave us as we head into response with some of, just as I just was meditating on promise, the promises of God, here's some that came to mind. I hope there's many that would just come to mind when you think about the incredible promises of God. And if they don't, that's the reason that we must be in His Word to know His truth. They're there for us. That we then, when we hear the lies, those, or the shape of those lies that I was sharing and more, but they tend to have that same tone, they just sound dissonant. And quickly we can then speak the truth in its place. Psalm eighteen thirty. Just hear these. I'll speak them over us as encouragement. And then we'll lead into a response of singing and communion and giving and prayer. Psalm 18.30, Our God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in Him. You feel disconnected, vulnerable, apart from God, wondering about His word, questioning, doubting. No, His way is perfect. His word will prove true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. Psalm 86, 5, For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Think God could never forgive you for what you have done? The truth is, and that's what Satan would lie and speak to you, you're not good enough, you're not worthy, you can't be forgiven. There's no hope for you. Wrong. The Lord is good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon him. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. Deuteronomy 31.6, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. You feel alone, abandoned, that he's not near? Wrong. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Go in courage and be strong. Do not fear. Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. He will make your path straight. Feel like you're wandering, aimless. Don't know where to go. Don't feel like God is answering or directing. Trust him with all heart. He will make your path straight. Lean not on your perspective. Trust his Philippians 4, 6, another word, words from Paul, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with your requests and with thanksgiving, make all known to God. And the peace of God, here's the promise, you feel like you have no peace in your life. You're in turmoil, you're in discord, it's hard. And the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, you can't, you can't just think your way to it, it will be a gift It surpasses understanding. It will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This this must be a daily putting off and putting on to the renewal of our mind. And we could go on and on to the promises that God has spoken, like getting dressed in the morning. We replace the lies that have been clinging to us and maybe that we've been clinging to with the truth of God's word and we are set free. Set us free, Lord. So much more in the growth group. I encourage you. I hope you will join us if you are able. For now, let us draw near to him who draws near to us. Catherine and team, why don't you come and be prepared to lead us 
in this response time. We draw near to Him, for He draws near to us. That's His promise. We felt felt distant and far from Him this week. If that's true for you, it need not remain. It need not linger into this week ahead. We draw near to Him. You do that through heart, the prayers of your heart He hears, through song. Make these songs prayers you sing, thanksgivings and praises, requests that you are singing for Him to do. That's how we draw near. In a physical way, we move to the table. There's tables set in the back with the elements of communion. We don't pass them because we invite you to move. It's good to move toward him in some fashion. As we move out these doors today, we pray he's sending us. We have come in one way. He has not left us that way. He has met us. He has healed. He's at work stirring hearts, forgiving, restoring, and then sending. Unbind them. Unbind them. Free them and send them. Lord, we pray. Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, Make us more aware of your presence and your power for us and your purpose. Send us, Lord. You free us. Break every chain. Free every burden. Break the, break the, the history of religion as if we could earn your favor. You've already declared it. You love us more deeply than we can ever know. Forgive us for only trying to behave in a way to earn your favor or the attention of others or to not get in trouble. We put that off. And what we put on, Lord, is your freedom, your grace, what you say about us, your love for us. We come to Jesus. Help us, Lord. We've got a long way to go. But thank you that you will be with us every step of the way. Today, we put off, we put on, renew our minds in your truth and your promises. And we declare them together now. In your name we pray, amen.